and find a note from their daughter who's left home. And um, the bits in brackets say, we gave her most of our lives, sacrificed most of our lives. We gave her everything money could buy. And the song goes on later to say, love is the one thing that money can't buy. And um, isn't that one of the saddest lines in all the uh, Beatles songs, I think? She's leaving home after living alone for so many years. She's lived in the house since she was a baby, yet she feels she's been living alone. Whether that's true or not, we can't say, but that's what she felt like, and if that's, a very, if that's the case, that's a very sad thing. Anyway, we're going to be looking um, in Proverbs this week. We're going to look at home, um, then a bit of a break, and then in March we're going to be looking at uh, business, wisdom in business, and then at wisdom in politics and law. And then finally we'll look at the wife of noble character at the end of the book. Um, These topics, of course, at the time of Solomon were much less separated than they are now. um, Most people would have been farmers, and so their business was their family in one sense, and since we're separating things out. And anyway, can this possibly be relevant to us? We're, um, most of these sayings were probably written in the late Bronze Age, maybe eight or 900 years before Christ. They were edited around 500 years before Christ. We know that because there's references to Hezekiah in the book, who lived around that time. And... Um, say it was an economy, a a land of marginal desert farmers uh, who lived by farming sheep mostly, but also uh, they grew things as well, of course. And they lived in family groups, mostly not nomadic family groups, but family groups that lived on the land. Can that possibly have anything to say to families in the 21st century? Most of us live in, well, cities, Certainly, I guess all of us here live in a city. Um, our, um, most of our experience of farming is probably just growing a few vegetables in the back garden, if we even get, or the allotment, if we even get that far. Can it have anything relevant to us at all? And yet, I'll suggest to you the answer is absolutely yes. In fact, if we look at what Proverbs has to say at a family, and indeed some of these other topics about business and law as well, we would absolutely revolutionize the way that we live. Because we live in a society that's absolutely obsessed with the worship of self. Actually, even the world is beginning to appreciate the limitations of this worldview, but it can't find a way out of it. Every time that somebody um, comes up with some plan, maybe tax credits or something, to help out the family, somebody else comes up and pops up and says, yeah, but this is an infringement of civil liberties or infringement of the rights or individual freedom. We live in a world that's so obsessed with our own freedom, the worship of self, that we really can't find a way out of the trap But Proverbs, I would suggest to you, does indeed find us a way out of this trap. And you'll think I'm going to talk about relationships now, don't you? Well, actually, I am going to talk about relationships, but I'm not going to start there. I thought when I started to prepare this, yes, I'd probably land up talking about relationships. But when I looked through the book of Proverbs, I found that actually there's a bit more to it than that and the fact there's something that needs to be said even before we start looking at this issue of relationships. Because Proverbs says the following and this is one of the the texts on your handout. He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress and for his children it will be a refuge. That's chapter 14, 26. Or the Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. That's chapter 3, verses 33. The emphasis here is not on the family, but on on the home. Um, 
don't make too much of the distinction in this passage between house and home because the, the meaning is not quite the same as in English. The, the Hebrew word for house here can mean a family home. But on the other hand, the word for home does have particular connotations of pleasantness and permanence. It's perhaps a bit like the German word Heimat, if you're familiar with that. It means a home place, a place where you feel secure and permanent. So, work. No, no, it's better. So Proverbs actually starts talking about the family with talking about the home, not so much the building of course, the house that we live in, but the community of the home. Um, here's some, uh, and at the center of this community is as we've just read, the fear of the Lord. In other words, there is a moral core to this community. It's not a sort of vacuum in the center which everybody does their own thing. The start is a community that is based around the moral core of the fear of the Lord, of the fear of God. And then uh, Proverbs says various things about... Um, what might go on in such a community. So a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. In other words, there's a provision for the children. Um, better to be nobody and yet have a servant than pretend to be somebody and to have no food. In other words, there should be truth at the heart of the home, not... Um, you know, just, just a, a fancy wow factor house, but uh, rather a real, a real family. There should be kindness at the center of it because it says a righteous man cares for the needs of his animal, but the kindest acts of the wicked are cruel. The, the righteous man at the home is kind even to the animals in the, of the household. And for women, Proverbs 14.1 says, The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands the foolish one tears hers down. And again, it's clear they're not talking about the building here. She's talking about building up her household. The Lord tears down the proud man's house, but he keeps the widow's boundaries intact. 15.25 in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. He who pursues righteousness fi uh, finds life and prosperity and honor. Proverbs 24, 3 to 4. By wisdom a house is built, and through it understanding is it established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Now that is an interesting one. What's he talking about there? The, the, uh, is it about interior design or is it about uh, the, um, the way that we live in the house? Actually, I suggest it might well be about both. I mean, a house does have contents. God is not in favor of ugliness. Um, and a house will have some possessions in it as well as the people. And in a sense, they are part of, those things are part of the house. So perhaps it's about good taste. But I'm sure more than that, it's about um, that's the treasure that is found among the people there. And finally, let me just um, bring you an interesting comment from Proverbs on individualism, this worship of self that we find around so much today. Proverbs 14, 10 to 11 says... Each heart knows its own bitterness and no one else can share its joy. Okay, we can go with that. You can't, in a sense, share your joy with any, or your bitterness with anybody. And yet, it goes on to say, the house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. Now, a tent, of course, is a temporary house, but uh, he's saying here that even if there is times of bitterness and joy and, 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 or times of joy that 
in a sense, we can't share those even with the members of our own family. But on the other hand, there is a support to be found. If there is righteousness in the house, if the fear of the Lord is there, because then people will come indeed to um, be able to share their joy and find there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother or to share even their grief. There are plenty more such texts where those came from and at the end uh, of your handout I've actually listed a lot more texts of various (laughs) comments that you can look at if you want to. If you can read that, yeah, the green is all right, isn't it? So, the point I want to make here is that in Proverbs, a family is seen firstly as a as a community, as a commonwealth. The prosperity, or the, indeed the poverty, of the house belongs not to each member individually, but to the whole. And so, the family itself doesn't exist for the benefit of any individual member, but for the common good. And I would suggest to you that that's quite a revolutionary thought, because we find find it so difficult to move away from this worship of self and that we have to develop our own self and express ourselves in everything. Proverbs offers a different vision. It says, why not express your family And why would we do that? Well, because actually, it's um, better in the end for each of us, for ourselves also. Uh, As Jesus said, the one who wants to gain his self must lose it first. And that is to be found in, um, in this idea of family as community, where we have things in common, where we put things to the common good rather than our individual needs and wants. And I think it's important to grasp this because also if we don't, we will think of a family as being mum, dad and 2.4 children if we think of the family at all. Nowadays you may think of two people living together, several children who are probably at least one of the people living with as a parent. Um, But even if we think of family in more traditional terms, we think of mum and dad and a few children. Um, we don't think of it as a community and maybe even something bigger than the nuclear family as somebody once called it. Um, it, The family contains young and old, it can even contain masters and servants and and animals. Um, It is true that ideally a husband and wife are at its core but even if it's not it can still be a family. I think it's worth making that point also. Because, did we notice one of those verses says, um, the Lord tears down the prowls man's house, but he keeps the widow's boundaries intact. So even if there isn't a man of the house, even if there's a wiz- the widow looking after a single parent, looking after some children, and yet that can still be a family. Of course, we may need to do, provide extra support for that sort of family. In fact, we certainly will do. And indeed, that is one of the things the church can and should do. But it's still a family, because it's still a community with a a common interest. So let's not forget that. One problem with this is that uh, today, so many people, including many Christians, live alone. Can you have a community of one? Well... Possibly not. Uh, Proverbs even actually has something to say about that. In Proverbs 27, verses 8 to 10, it says, Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend and the friend of your father. Do not go to your brother's house when disaster strikes you. Better a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. So the suggestion here is that if you do live alone, then there is all the more need to build the relationships, perhaps in the church or in other ways, to build the relationships of a community so that you have the support that um, 
is need, that you're not like a bird who's strayed from the nest. So at the heart of the family is a common interest, common values. The core value is wisdom and the fear of the Lord. But of course the family would have other common other th- interests. I've listed a few things there, some of which we've already read about, some of which we will uh, look at when we look at one or two other things, um, some of which are just common sense really. Um, so they will have values. Uh, I've listed there values we might seek of love, of discipline, of protection, mutual protection, and uh, of hope for the future. Um, There will certainly be economic issues involved in a family. Even if you don't live as a peasant farmer, you've still got to work to eat, or somebody does has to. And um, so there will be a common economic interest in the family. And of course, we don't actually live with nothing. We all have stuff of some sort. And uh, so there will be a common interest in even the possessions of the family, the things that the family owns. Um, To some extent, these will be seen as community things also, I think. I don't think that means you can't have your own Xbox. But um, uh, nevertheless, even the possessions of the family would be seen as part of the community rather than something we shut ourselves away in our room and keep from everybody else. And there will be roles within the family. Any community has roles. We don't all do the same thing. Poirot's view of what those roles actually is quite flexible, surprisingly so in some ways. It's certainly not a, a, you know, it doesn't go father, breadwinner, mother, sticks to the kitchen, children should be seen and not heard. It's not like that at all. When we get later to look at the wife of noble character at the end, we'll find that this, this superwoman has nothing on this lady. Um, but uh, roles are not rigid ones but there are roles within a family we don't all have to be the same one of the problems we have with a family nowadays is that we feel that we do all have to be the same Um, you know we all have to have it all as we say that's a a word that gets banded around isn't it have it all we don't have to have it all perhaps as a community as a family we have to have it all but not you know we share things We don't have to have it all ourselves, necessarily. So that's perhaps a way to look at it. And, of course, there will be labor. Maintaining any community involves work. Um, I'd say in in those days of peasant farmers, and the labor was very much in the house and in the farm. Uh, But there is, of course, still labor in the house. Somebody has to do the cleaning and the washing up and the cooking. Somebody has to earn the money that that we live on. Somebody has to clean the children's rooms or perhaps more to the point, somebody has to persuade the children to clean their own rooms. (laughs) So there are all sorts of um, values that uh, a community would have. And Proverbs has things to say about these values. So it says, for instance... (coughs) All the days of the oppressed are wretched, but the cheerful heart has a continual feast. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fatted calf with hatred. Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Sounds like one of those Facebook parties, doesn't it? where there is uh, feasting, there's plenty to eat and drink, but there's strife and destruction. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? Could think about that some more perhaps, but not too far now, but certainly there should be hope, but there should also be fulfillment of hope. Uh, 
as I've said, in the family today, we're told to have it all. We're all expected to be entrepreneurs and perfect parents and diligent students and considerate and active lovers. Not surprisingly, we're never satisfied with our own performance, let alone anybody else's. Um, we operate under constant feelings of guilt and failure, don't we, whatever we do. If the women go out to work and become bankers in the city, they feel guilt that they're not looking after their family. Conversely, if they stay at home and look after their family, they feel guilt that they're not having it all, they're not fulfilling their potential. And uh, I think men are just the same, you know. We feel that we're uh, inadequate to the role that's been placed on us in this 21st century. Um, what are men supposed to do in the house nowadays? Are we supposed to become house parents? Maybe we should, but um, whatever it is, we feel inadequate to do it because we're asked to have it all, and we shouldn't have it all. We can be flexible in what, who does what and how we do it, but we shouldn't expect to be able to do everything. That's why we have families. And so this Proverbs model of the family is actually very liberating. It means we don't have to be we don't have to repress people into rigid and demeaning roles. And that's equally true whether it's the, the old-fashioned idea of a woman who's chained to the kitchen sink or the idea today of a woman who has to, say, be superwoman, who has to, uh, you know, be, be um, a executive of a city bank and, and the perfect parent at the same time. We don't have to do that. We don't have to insist on the individual fulfilment of each member if we can put our, our efforts to the community of the family. As I say, we don't have to have rigid roles for that. People can do, we could organize our families in different ways. But people don't, you know, if we have a community as a family, it means that we don't have to be perfect at everything. Um, as part of that um, wife of noble character at the end of Proverbs, we read, her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. Now, you can think about what that means. We will think about what that means a bit more when we look at that passage at the end. But uh, at least it means that we don't have to do everything. The, the um, husband doesn't have to be intimately involved in micromanaging the house because his, his, his wife is on the case and because of that he's able to get involved in the politics of his local um, community That's, of course the city gate was where they would meet and discuss the affairs of the, of the village or indeed the city ok so this is perhaps a different way of looking at the family to what we're used to but of course it is true that if you're going to make that work, you really do have to focus on relationships. Because if you're actually living, you know, leaving home after living alone for so many years, then it won't have worked, will it? You've not actually been part of that community at all. It is the relationships that make the community work. So we do need to focus on relationships and Proverbs tells us most about wife, husband, and parent-child relationships. So we'll look at those in a bit more detail. But it does mention other relationships as well. So we will also look at uh, one or two of those. <coughs> so husband, wife. Do, do remember, when we read these things, that Proverbs is addressed to my son. Um, in that sense, it's slightly addressed to the male point of view. Um, and you need to bear that in mind while you're um, reading through these proverbs because I think we need to apply them to, to women as well. <laughs> yeah, um, but just the way it's written, sometimes it looks slightly odd because it's um, addressed to my son. So, for instance, in Proverbs 18, 19 to 22, it says, He who finds a wife what, finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Proverbs 12.4, wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a disgraceful wife 
is like the decay in his bones. So I say it's written from the male point of view, but um, I don't think we, you know, we're suge suggesting that uh, this doesn't apply, that you know, the wives have to be careful in who they choose as their husbands as well. And to find a good husband is uh, a gift from the Lord. It's just that I say this is written to my son, and so it's always written that way around. And the first thing I might say is that Proverbs' approach to the husband-wife relationship is almost quite shockingly sexual. And I think one needs to say that. I think often churches have, shy, have been prudish and shied away from talking about the sexual nature of our relationships in the home. And I think they've done a great deal of damage by that. Um, Proverbs 5, 20 to 23 says the following. This is in the passage that we part of the section that we looked at last week of course of wisdom and the adulteress and it says drink water from your own cistern running water from your own well should your springs overflow in the streets your streams of water in the public squares let them be yours alone never to be shared with strangers may your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth a loving doe a graceful deer may her breast satisfy you always May you ever be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? Even today there's an article in the Telegraph um, about how to put the spice back into your marriage and various approaches have to this. Well, I'd suggest that they might do better if they read this uh, passage of Proverbs. Um, but it is important that we do, in that sense, keep the spice in our marriages. Um, human sexuality is not just about reproduction. It's about bonding, keeping husband and wives together. And um, we need to be aware of that. And uh, we need to be active about it. And one of the things in this... Um, article that I read, you know, it's sort of ten things you can do to keep the spice in your marriage. You can hug ten times a day for ten seconds and things like that, but actually what Proverbs suggest is that you know, not things to do but a change to just watch your attitude. Um, may you rejoice in the wife of your youth and to, to women, may you rejoice in the husband of your youth. Perhaps that wasn't an issue in those days. It's more a case of men choosing uh, trophy wives and getting rid of their old model, trading them in for a new one. But, of course, in that situation today, it works both ways. So um, we need to take delight in the wife of our youth, the one the Lord has provided, the gift of the Lord to us. And um, there's another side to it as well, of course, the wife needs to make an effort to be the loving doe and the graceful deer. And uh, whatever the male equivalent of that is, I'm not quite sure, but <laughs> um, I'm sure there must be one. So we do need to, to make an effort, not uh, you know, to, to say that these things don't matter anymore. So the first thing, indeed, that Proverbs says about the husband-wife relationship is sexual. But it's not pornographic, notice. We're not to treat each other as objects. We're to take delight in each other. And that delight, I'm sure, goes beyond the sexual. Take delight in the wife of your youth. And so even that individual desire and satisfaction is to be found to benefit the community of the family so that it's not torn apart by infidelity and by simply drifting from one partner to another which is what happens so much nowadays how many children nowadays live with their birth parents you know or at least both of their birth parents i forget the figure but it's less than 50% i think and in brighton it's less than that I remember being hearing once of one of a, a People talking to a child surprised that that parent was still that child still lived with both her her um, birth parents. 
And of course, um, the proverb says a lot more about the husband-wife relationship than just the sexual. Time is moving on, so I'd better press on, but uh, let me mention a few other things. Um, there are several proverbs of this sort. Better to live on the corner of the roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife. Or a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. Restraining her is like restraining the wind or grasping oil with the hand. Or the other way, to put it the other way, a kind-hearted woman gains respect, but ruthless men gain only wealth. A kind man benefits himself, but a cruel man brings trouble on himself. Or how about this one, one we read earlier in the sayings of Agar. Under three things the earth trembles, under four it cannot bear up. A servant who becomes king, a fool who is full of food, an unloved woman who is married, and a maidservant who displaces her mistress. In other words, what does that last thing mean? It means when a husband ignores his wife and turns to a convenient and available alternative, one that in those days it would have been almost socially acceptable to have sex with your maidservants or your wife's maidservants. But a maidservant should not replace her mistress in the, um, or neither should any other woman in the uh, husband's bed and of course it's not really the bed that is being talked about here it's the lack of love an unloved woman who is married what a terrible state to be in to be a woman who is married but is not loved or as I say is it um, to be living with a, a quarrelsome wife uh, Wives can be quarrelsome and husbands can be cruel and abusive. And indeed, Proverbs says to restrain, well, for one to restrain the other is almost impossible. Remember, we saw that 27 verse 16, restraining her is like restraining the wind or grasping oil with the hand. So what are we to do about that? Well, the first thing, of course, is uh, Proverbs' first advice is not get yourself in that situation in the first place. Be careful who you marry. <laughs> Make sure that you're not going to land up as unloved or quarrelsome. Um, divorce, of course, was allowed under the Mosaic law, but Proverbs never seems to recommend it. And yet it says, you know, what are you going to do about it? Restraining her is like trying to restrain the wind or keep oil in your hand. Well, The only answer then is to work on it, isn't it? That to try and um, talk to your partner and uh, try and um, do something about the destructive behaviour. Get help and counsel it if you need to. I mean, I guess there are occasions when the breakdown is totally unavoidable and, and divorce is the only... Um, the only way forward but certainly um, Jesus himself said that to do that is to encourage adultery to make the woman into an adulterer so certainly if at all possible put the relationship right that would be a very hard thing to do but what is impossible with man is possible with God and in the grace of Jesus Christ perhaps things can be put right only the wisdom of Christ can achieve that. What about parents and children? We read, A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son brings grief to his mother. Chapter 10, verse 1. And again, it's addressed to my, to my son, but clearly it refers to daughters as well. Proverbs 1 verse 8 in the introduction Listen my son to your father's instruction Do not forsake your mother's teaching When I was a boy in my father's house Still tender and an only child of my mother He taught me and said Lay hold of my words with all your heart Keep my commands and you will live Proverbs sees the parent-child relationship As one of a kind of life apprenticeship 
It includes discipline, it includes encouragement, and it includes the giving of responsibility. So it says, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with a rod, he will not die. Punish him with a rod and save his soul from death. My son, if your heart is wise, then my heart will be glad. My inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. There is surely a hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. Listen, my son, and be wise, and keep your heart on the right path. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat, for drunkens and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness clothes them in rags. Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom, discipline, and understanding. The father of a righteous man has great joy. He who has a wise son delights in him. May your father and mother be glad. May she who gave you birth rejoice. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes keep to my ways. It's chapter 23, 13 to 26. In chapter 3, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves the father, the son he delights on. And there's much more to this effect. I've not put a lot more references in the, in the appendix there. Now, um, we might get a bit uptight about this business of punishing with a rod. It does seem to be recommending corporal punishment. I, 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 think, I don't think you know, attitudes and think, ways of doing things do change. I don't think that we necessarily have to say that this means that Christians must use corporal punishment. Um, on the other hand, personally, I think that um, in a limited use of corporal punishment might not be a, a wrong thing. But the important thing is that however you do it, that there is discipline in the house. And one of the things is worship of self in the family today is that there isn't discipline so often within the family. And discipline is not violence, it certainly isn't child abuse beating children or um, destroying them with words. Exactly the opposite. It is encouragement to do what is right. It may involve punishment, uh, but mainly it is bringing the child to, to see what is right um, and to keep, listen my son, be wise, keep your heart on the right path. And there is the encouragement when children do do what is right. Um, and exhortation. Um, the children are expected to become a, a productive part of the family, and that's part of being an apprentice, isn't it? That you you learn to do the job. And um, say the proverb sees the parent-child relationship as one as being a sort of life apprenticeship. So in Proverbs 10, verse 5, he who gathers crops in summer is a wise son. But he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. It's not quite the same as Plato's idea, who thought you can't be wise if you indulged in manual labor. Um, Proverbs' idea is quite right. When you're working, when you're working in your family business or whatever it is, or when you're working at your studies or whatever it is, then you're a wise son if you sleep during harvest, and that's disgraceful. 2011, every child is known by his actions, by whether his conduct is pure and right. 28, 24, he who robs his father or mother and says it is not wrong, he is partner to him who destroys. Who is him who destroys? Well, it's the devil himself. And it does even say that if the child goes wrong, some blame attaches to his parents. Uh, Proverbs 29, 15, the rod of correction imparts wisdom but a child left to himself disgraces his mother or he who keeps the law is a discerning son but a companion of gluttons disgraces his father so if a child does go wrong then there is some blame and disgrace attached to the parents um, there's always grace to be found in Jesus but you know one sometimes has to accept that one has done things wrong and one could have done them better 
and uh, and accept that uh, the blame for that. But uh, if we bring up our children in the nurture and admonition and discipline of the Lord, then hopefully we won't find ourselves in that situation. Um, Proverbs also said there's a little bit about siblings, not very much actually, but there are a couple of verses about the relationship of brothers, well brothers actually, not brothers and sisters. Proverbs 17:17. 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born to adversity. So friends should be sticking together. But on the other hand, in 18:19, an offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city. Disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. So make sure that you don't fall out with your brothers and sisters because if you do, the result will be pain and strife and damage to the family. But the true brother will be there for you when you need him and the true sister will be the one that you help when she needs you. Of course, there may be also elderly people in the family Grey hair, here, is a crown of splendor. It's attained by a righteous life. Well, I'm not sure that mine is attained by a righteous life. But, um, <laughs> well, children's children are a crown to the aged, and parents are the pride of their children. Are they? Do those of us, or those who are grown up, children, adult children in your 20s, 30s, 40s, whose parents are still alive, do you take pride in your parents? Do you say, yes, they really cared about me. They really brought me up in the love of the Lord, in the right way, in discipline and love. Um, do you take pride in them and say, therefore, I'm going to treat them now and take pride in them and look after them when they are in perhaps in need, when they're too old to... Um, perhaps to work as they used to. The aged are to be treated with respect and particularly as a source of wisdom, not shut away in a home and forgotten. Now, I'm not saying it's always wrong to put your aged relatives in care homes. Sometimes they may need the, the care that is available in such a, a place. But they shouldn't be shut away there and forgotten. Um, if we do do that, then we need to make sure, well, none of my parents or parents-in-law are still alive, but um, we need to take, if you have elderly parents, you need to take care. They may need to, you know, they may need the care of a, a medical environment, but particularly if they do, then don't just shut them there and forget them. Go and um, be with them, comfort them, and if they're still of, of sound mind, then talk to them and appreciate their wisdom and the advice that they will give if you're a young family don't shut out your mother and father um, I read somewhere that one of the, the great human inventions was the invention of grandmothers um, grandmothers who can look after the children when, the, um, uh, when they're past childbearing age themselves but uh, can look after the children when the mother is involved in other activities um, let's not forget the importance of the elderly within the family and of course this community, this is a community but it's not a, a closed community that red boundary that I've drawn on the diagram the picture there is not uh, you know, not a, a shell for which nothing goes in and out a sound family will be in a position to hope those who are around. And there is certainly a requirement in Proverbs that we should be good neighbours. Um, again, some of them are quite amusing. Proverbs 27:14 says, If a man loudly blesses his neighbour early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. Don't make a noise early in the morning or late at night. You know, it's as practical as that. Be a good neighbour. Or Proverbs 26, 18 and 19, like a madman shooting firebrands or deadly arrows is the man who deceives his neighbour and says, I was only joking. Or 
or we can spend too much time in our neighbours' houses, 25, 17 to 18, seldom set foot in your neighbour's house, too much of you and he will hate you. That's certainly true, isn't it? Like a club or a sword or a sharp arrow is the man who gives full testimony against his neighbour. No, don't outstay your welcome in, the, um, in your neighbour's house and don't slander him either. I mean, your, your neighbour is his own community of the family. He may help you when you need help and you may be in, want to help him when he needs help and you should be doing that. But, you know, don't try and take it over. Don't take over your neighbour's family. And, of course, we are commanded to help a neighbour in genuine need do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbour, come back later, I'll give it tomorrow, when you now have it with you. Do not plot harm against your neighbour who lives trustfully near you. We are to do good to our friends and neighbours. And at the same time, we're not to be foolhardy. We're to be realistic about what we get ourselves into. No, don't offer to water your neighbour's plants while they're away if they're, what they're growing his cannabis in the back garden or something um, Proverbs 17.18 says a man lacking in judgment strikes hands in pledge and puts up security for his neighbour the neighbour is not your community be prudent what you do for your neighbour but at the same time be um, ready to help your neighbour and a sound family will be in a position to help out their neighbours when they're in need. I've put on the, the uh, picture here. Um, there is a certain amount in Proverbs about um, servants. However, I guess most of us probably don't actually have servants. Um, so I've just put those in the um, appendix. You can look at what it says if you like. But one thing... That some of you may have a nanny or a lady who comes in to clean or something like that. Um, and these are people who exist, as it were, on the boundary of the community. And if they're living, you know, if you have a living nanny, for instance, an au pair or something like that, then the teaching of Proverbs would seem to be that you should really be treating them almost as part of the family. In fact, it says at one point that a faithful servant will be treated as a son. Um, so if you do have a living nanny or an old pair or somebody like that, remember that they are, at least on a temporary basis, part of your community as well. So you need to take the same care for them as you would do for the children and um, other people in the house. But I won't go into that in detail because I say time is moving on and I don't suppose many of us have employ servants nowadays. Not here anyway. There might be some people in Brighton who do. <coughs> so to conclude, Proverbs presents us with a model family. And I've drawn a picture, because I'm taking it off now, haven't I? <laughs> I've drawn a picture which is a kind of 21st century way of thinking about things, about boundaries and connections and what's in and what's out. Proverbs doesn't present it in those terms, but that is the uh, family that Proverbs recommends and how different it is from the self-centeredness of today's approach. It's a community to which all contribute and all expect to share in the benefits if the family becomes prosperous, then there might be a breadwinner, as we say, and a childminder. There might be children and grandparents. There might be even employees. And I say, um, Proverbs is not too definite about who fills those roles sometimes. Uh, but whoever does them, each must expect to share in that prosperity. Do you have a joint bank account? If not, why not? Um, children's spending, of course, will need to be controlled. That's part of the discipline. But even the children should share in the prosperity if the Lord blesses the family. But that house, if the prosperity, the Lord does bless that family with prosperity, that house will be marked with generosity. 
if there is more than enough then share it with those who are in need and we're always to do that to remember our neighbours who may be in need and if the Lord has provided us with more than we need then he's done that so we can share it with those who do need it and perhaps prosperity will elude the family um, it is generally true as Proverbs said that hard work and uh, good relationships will lead to a prosperous family but it may not but even if it doesn't this family will still possess, possess something that's of even greater value than material possessions, you know, flat screen TVs and Xboxes and uh, computers and fancy freezers and all the things that you might have in your house. And again, I don't think there's anything wrong basically with having such things in your house, but um, until they become idols themselves. But even if you haven't got those things, you've still got what's at the heart of the house, the heart of the home, is the fear of the Lord. That's a moral sum which, around which all the business of the house orbits and which keeps it all in order. And as Proverbs remind us, better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. You can read these celeb magazines, can't you, about these people who've got all this money. But does it make their relationship strong? No, exactly the opposite in most cases. I mean, there are exceptions, of course, but in most cases it seems to do exactly the opposite. They're always switching partners and suing each other. And Gosh, it's just horrible, isn't it? Even if you can't afford your Sunday roast and you have to live on vegetables, better that, better a meal of vegetables where there is love and a fattened calf with a house which is full of hatred. Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. So Proverbs prevents it, presents this family as the community. And of course, as our next hymn says, our, our um, church is also a community and a family is often described as a family and a community in that sense also so many of these things apply not only to our families at home but to the church also so um, yeah let's sing another hymn about the family this one is number eight, 936 which reminds us that the Lord created the family um, Other animals live in family groups of one sort or another, but nothing like the depth of a human family. <laughs> 